0: Welcome back to the Eye on the Tiger podcast. This is Dave Matter, St. Louis Post-Dispatch, STLtoday.com, Mizzou Athletics beat writer. Today we are very fortunate to be joined by Ben Fredrickson, St. Louis Post-Dispatch sports columnist, who uh, was also with me Saturday for the epic clash, the in-state clash between Missouri and the Southeast Missouri Redhawks. Uh, I don't think we need to get into that one too much, uh, kind of unfolded like we like we expected and barely paying attention in the second half. But um, let's talk about Mizzou and where the Tigers stand after three games. And they've got a really big game this weekend at Boston College. And later in the podcast, um, I visited with Scott Mutrin. He is a sideline reporter for uh, Boston College's radio team. And he's got a really unique uh, you know, background experience here because he's a former Boston College quarterback and was a starter back in the 90s, late 90s, had a cup of coffee with the Patriots, So he knows that program inside and out, and he was a really good guest, just talking about uh, this year's Eagles team, kind of the program and where it is right now. And then also he gave some really good tips uh, for Mizzou fans and what to do to get the full Boston experience this weekend. Because I know a lot of fans are going. I've heard from a lot. uh, A lot are going to the baseball game, Red Sox Yankees Friday night. Uh, So it it could be a really really fun weekend. Um, Who knows how the game will unfold, but. That's what we're here to talk about, Ben. Thanks for joining us, and uh, let's dig in. What do you want to talk about? You want you want to dig into this Semo game?
1: Yeah, I'm just disappointed that you said we weren't going to go deep on Semo. I had my drive chart ready to go. I had I watched <laughs> the film. I was uh, I was uh, I had to watch the film because it was one of those 11 a.m. kicks, and I was there in person. But when the sun's hitting you through that press box window on a hot day, you just kind of basically melt down, and wow. my, my mind goes to mush. But it was it wasn't a bad game to. Uh, have some some sunspots, literally. Um, no, they took care of business. You know that's exactly what you want to do in a game like that. If you're going to pay an opponent 550 grand to come in and show up and play a game, then you want to get up early. You want to take your starters out as soon as possible, and you want to get some reps for the twos and the threes. I think that's pretty much exactly what what Mizzou was able to do. Um, you saw that the twos and threes need some work based off the defense in the second half. Some of those numbers don't really tell the true story of the game, but the, the true story of this team is very much some some skepticism about this defense, which I'm sure we'll talk about headed into this big game against Boston college. I thought uh, Connor Bazlack looked good. I, the one thing you take away from it saw a little more um, deep passing game, saw a few more shots downfield. I, I think that's a, a good sign. You saw a lot of guys kind of heralded recruits, maybe get a little more action, get a lot of first college snaps out there, which that's always good to see, but, I think we are seeing Bazelak be a little more comfortable with some of his receivers, especially some of the new guys, the Lovett's, um, the Coopers. And I think we could see that, that field start to open up a little bit in the passing game. Um, and the one, uh, the one, the one guy I'll give a shout out to, um, and I considered just writing a column about him. And I thought that might be a little over the top. Um, Michael Cox, man. I mean, you're always looking for a guy in a game like this, Dave, who jumps out. And yeah. I thought Michael Cox did in the second half. I'm, Average 15 and a half yards per carry. And you had the great observations like, yeah, it's SEMO. Um, but still, when a guy's picking up 15 yards a carry, it's you know only needs five carries to get 77 yards. And this team's leaning really hard on on Tyler Beatty. It would be nice to see Cox kind of literally jackhammer his way into uh, a, a bigger role on this team. Um, if you're going to keep running like that, I'm going to find reasons to give him the ball, man.
0: Yeah, he's a big back. He's over six foot, over 230 pounds. You know, there were guys in camp that said, hey, I don't like tackling him. He's the least favorite guy <laughs> I like tackling. I can't remember which defender said that. Um, they're not really big on tackling anybody in the run game lately. But anyway, yeah, I, I'd say give him give some more chances. I mean, the, the concern, or at least so, there's been so much talk about the workload for Tyler Beatty, and he's been able to handle it so far, and they were able to get him out at halftime the other day but man Tyler's become so valuable because he's doing it at such a high level, albeit against, you know, the first three opponents, but man, if you can have somebody else and I, Elijah young, I think they consider their running back of the future or at least one of them. Um, but he's, he's built more like Beatty. Um, he's, he's lighter. He's not, not as heavy. Um, so you want that, that other big guy, somebody can get you first down on fourth and one or third and short. Um, or just to, to wear out a defense and see what this guy can do. So uh, I'll be interested to see if, if we see him a little bit more. Uh, I, I'm, I'm with you on, on other observations. I, I thought it was good to get Bazelak a good half. Um, he's, I, I don't want to, I don't know if it's fair to say he's playing hurt, but he's playing banged up and I think he's continues to win over his teammates when he's out there, not at hundred um, percent. You know, he, Because he's not super athletic, he does take some shots. Now, he didn't really in this game, but he did at Kentucky. But he's out there every snap still, and I think that that says something about him and who he is as a quarterback and as a leader. And, you know, he's going to take some shots as this season goes on, and they play, you know, better defenses, including this Boston College defense coming up. So I think that's a positive. And then you really touched on your column, and it just happens to be that some of these guys are from St. Louis, but we're starting to see some of these young playmakers emerge The more Mookie Cooper gets healthy, the more of a weapon he can become. They had that play action deep pass to him out of the end zone, kind of a risky play, but they had it, they had it blocked really well. He got, he got free uh, and almost a 50 yard pass. Dominic Lovett. They're finding all different ways to get him the ball. Um, You know, those guys add this dimension that they didn't have last year when they're just throwing to guys like Kiki Chisholm and and Toski Dove and the tight ends. Now they've got some game breakers. So, be interesting to see how that continues to develop and you add them with Beatty, um, behind an offensive line that I think is getting better. You know, if anybody puts much stock in the pro football focus numbers, and I know those numbers can be, um, you know, you can question them sometimes the the two offensive tackles are having a great season so far. They're actually the highest graded offensive players from Missouri above Bazelak and Beatty that's Hiron white on the right side and, um, on the left side, Javon Foster. So, uh, things to build on for sure, offensively, defensively, good first half, but I don't really take anything away from it because it's SEMO and they're going to face tougher competition on the line of scrimmage every game from here on out.
1: Yeah. I I felt a little guilty putting these numbers together um, for our our podcast today, because I know that the second half is really where SEMO piled up the yardage in the the run game, but I'll mention them and, and take them with a grain of salt because, you know, we know that, the second half was what it was against the twos and the threes, but the numbers are pretty, pretty glaring here. Missouri has allowed the most rushing yards of any team in the SEC. That's 809. Um, they're, they're surrendering 6.6 plus yards per play. Um, they, you know, they're giving up an average of almost more than 450 yards per game. And this one jumped out to me. Um, and, and I think that this is maybe perhaps the most accurate one to look at as a concern. They've allowed 49 plays now of 10 or more yards. Um, Which is the worst in the SEC. Now, let's put that in context. Vanderbilt, and no one expects much out of Vanderbilt this year, a complete rebuild under a new coach. They've allowed 40 in the same amount of games, 40 plays of 10 plus yards per play. Georgia, um, which, if anyone hasn't seen it, go choke out Coach Beamer's rant about that was great when he, when he was asked why Georgia's defensive line was so effective against South Carolina, and he kind of looks, he just has that point where it's like, all right, I, I, I can't, I just have to tell the truth, and he goes on this great answer about how, well, I don't know what to tell you. They've got five star players all over the field. They've got defensive linemen who are. 300 pounds who can run faster than anyone on this Zoom call. And he said, I don't know what to tell you. They're really freaking good. They play really hard. They're strong and fast, and and we are not at their level. And it was like the most obvious answer, but perfect, and really kind of makes you – what else are you supposed to say? Well, Georgia, that defense has given up, I think it's 19. You 19 plays of 10-plus yards per game. And Georgia's played some tougher games, um, some tougher opponents. Missouri's allowed about 50, 49. So that's going to be a huge – you know number going forward. That's that's what they have to minimize. I don't think it's ever going to be an outstanding defense this season, but they've got to limit the big plays. They've got this turnover gene, which is good. They can create some interceptions, fumbles. Teams either have that or they don't. I think this defense does. They they can be a bend, don't break defense. Those are all good things, fine things when you got an offense that can score. But if you're allowing the most explosive plays in your conference, you're not gonna, you're not gonna get to where you want to go. You can't create enough turnovers. Um, to to cover that, you know, getting gashed left and right. So that's going to be a number that I think is is going to be pretty big headed into this Boston College game. And in some ways I'd say, hey, it's great that Boston – not great. I mean, never want to see a kid get hurt. I don't mean it like that. But it's good for Mizzou that Boston College is without its starting quarterback. And they've had to shift to to the backup. However, what that means is they're going to run the ball. I mean, they clearly established that against Temple. Temple's not very good. But they leaned on that run game heavy. And uh, I think they watching film against Missouri, why wouldn't you, if you've got a running back and Boston college does um, and this Pat Garwo gentleman, who's a really highly touted recruit out of, out of Pennsylvania. Um, you know, he's averaging something like, you know, seven yards of carry so far now they haven't played anybody, but uh, you know, that's, that's my game plan. If I'm playing Mizzou right now, and I've got a running back who can handle the workload. I'm going to make them stop that because I've got every reason to, to think they can't.
0: Yeah. And, we want to get into this matchup, I think with Boston college, you know, now that Phil Jerkovic was going to be their quarterback, um, really talented guy. And we talked to Scott about this and you'll hear that coming up soon. Um, I remember watching last year's Boston college, Notre Dame game and thinking I I made a mental note of it and thought this guy's going to be a handful for Missouri next year. He's really good. He's a Notre Dame transfer, but he's out probably for the season with the wrist injury. So they've got to go to their backup. Uh, Dennis Grossell And he's a, he's an unusual backup because he's played, he started eight games. So he's not, he's not bring it's not bringing in Brady Cook or Tyler Macon. This guy has played and he's won some games. Now he barely threw the ball at all against Temple, um, but he's, he, he's not going to be overwhelmed by the moment at all uh, on, on Saturday. But like you said, I think this is an opportunity for them to really run the ball. And if there's anything that we know about this Boston college team, They've got a stud offensive line. I mean, we're talking like some of the best guys, not just in the ACC, but in, in the power five conferences. Uh, one name will jump out. Fans will recognize Tyler Brable, maybe not the first name, but it's the son of Mike Brable, head coach of the Tennessee Titans, um, you know, beloved Patriots linebacker. So a kid grew up, I'm sure a Patriots. He was, one of
1: the, was he one of the ones in the video? With, on I draft think he night? was. I think you he, remember he was they wearing the night. costumes. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. He's there. uh, He's their left tackle. Their right tackle is really good. They've got some good guards. Their center is preseason All-American type. Uh, And that's a program that has produced so many NFL offensive linemen. It's just kind of a tradition there. So they're going to be stout up front. This is another big challenge for Missouri's defensive line. They've got to be able to do something. They didn't really generate much pressure at all against SEMO. Now, part of that was SEMO had a running quarterback, so it was probably more important just to contain him, which they did for the most part. They controlled the running game, but you should. I mean, you should dominate in a game like that. Very few tackles for losses. Um, I think they had one sack off the edge. So, again, another big test for this defensive line. Uh, they can't put so much pressure on linebackers and safeties to make all the stops. Uh, I do think, you know, Missouri secondary has played well so far. They're going to have a challenge in this game. Uh, Zay Flowers, sophomore wide receiver for Boston College, one of the very best in the ACC. Not a big guy, five foot 10. They'll, they'll move them all over the place. And uh, someone's going to have to cover him because he is, uh, he's by far their best playmaker. So this is a tough matchup. I, Missouri's favored by two. I'm a little surprised going on the road. I think a lot of that just has to do with anticipation of people gambling, you know, that, that literally gambling, that Boston college doesn't have a quarterback. Right. Um, and it's not a place where you think of them having a great home field advantage. You know, I think they, they seed around 50,000 or so maybe a little less than that. And it's not going to be a huge crowd by any means, but um, yeah, this is this is one of the ultimate toss-up games on Missouri's schedule that I think can kind of set the tone for for you know the next few weeks. If you win this game, you're going to be feeling pretty good about yourself coming home hosting Tennessee. You're two and two. That bandwagon's going to get a little light, and uh, you know we'll see how they react.
1: Yeah, I had them winning this game entering the season, and then I started to feel not so good about it, and then the quarterback news happened, and I feel a little bit better. But you know this would be the this to me is the first true coin flip game of their season yeah um, some people would have said that was Kentucky actually I expected them to, to lose at Kentucky um, based off of I thought Kentucky was going to be okay obviously they didn't look very good on Saturday but with with that game meaning so much to Kentucky the Missouri struggled to win in Lexington um, they could have won that game that maybe they should have but it wasn't a, a stunner to me that they didn't this game would not be a stunner, but I think it's the true a true toss up, and it would also be. And you've written about this last season is like one of the good things Drinkwitz has going for him. And this isn't you know not that there's a bunch of degenerate gamblers out there, although if you did bet on Mizzou Semo seek help like one eight hundred bets off. Like if you're if you're betting on a on an FCS game, you might need to reevaluate your life choices. Drinkwitz has done good and had his team ready to go in games where they're favored. And I think that that speaks to kind of that that building of momentum in the program. It's like nobody, ever wants, you never want to see your team lose. Right. But if you if you lose as an underdog, it's kind of like, OK. And then every once in a while, maybe you topple in a favorite team, favorite team, and you feel like you're making progress. But one of the quick ways to, to take wind out of the sails is to lose to teams you're, you're favored by Vegas to beat. Um, and because Vegas, you know, whether you bet or not, Vegas usually does have a pretty good idea of, you know, of, of what te- what people think should happen. And and I think, you know, if you poll most Mizzou fans, they think their team should win this game. And maybe they're not giving Boston College enough credit. And, and 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 that's probably true. But it feels like a game Missouri should win. So I'm with you. I, I think you really have a much more positive vibe on the season if you can go on the road and grab a win against a, a pretty decent team. So, you know, I think that you, there's probably another level to this offense that we can see from the Tigers. And I hate to put more and more on the offense, but it's pretty clear that this offense is going to have to carry things while the defense tries to get better on the fly. And and we saw it for the first time Saturday against a questionable opponent, but if they can take some bigger shots down the field that I think would really help kind of open some things up, take some pressure off the defense. And I think for the defense, it's pretty clear, like, if they're not going to stop the run, like Boston College has no reason to try to do anything else. Right. They've got a good running back. They've got multiple guys who can run the ball. And, it, and if they can go out and do it, they again simple where they just lean on the run. Then, then why would they try try anything differently? And I'm, with, I'm also with you, like watching the SEMO game, the one time the defense looked shaky before the starters went out. If there are other teams that play Missouri that have a quarterback who's mobile, like they're going to use that. Yeah. And I think that you know they can get outside, they can break contain. That can be a real headache for this team if they if they encounter a quarterback who's got some wheels.
0: Absolutely, I looked it up while you were talking. You're right. Um, Missouri's undefeated under Drinkowitz when favored. Now they have, don't necessarily cover the spread all the time, but last year they were only favored three times, and they beat South Carolina, Vanderbilt, and Arkansas. Uh, Mississippi State game it was a it was a it was even. So
1: uh, yeah, that was a weird. That was I kind of forget game. that that didn't even happen.
0: Um, but they were underdogs in every other game. They won two games as an underdog against LSU and Kentucky. And then this year favored to beat central Michigan. They did Favored to beat SEMO obviously. And they did. So yeah, they're taking care of business when they're expected to uh, this one's a little bit different because you're, you're a road favorite, which is unusual. They were last year at South Carolina, but there's not many times you can, you can count when Missouri has been a road favorite in the sec or against the power five team in a, right. in a long time. Uh, So a little bit different situation for this team going to Boston College. Interestingly enough, and I'm catching you on the spot here, you may not be able to answer it. There are seven Power Five programs that Missouri has never played in football. How many can you name? God. We're talking ACC, Big 12. Obviously, they've played Big 12 teams. Uh, Big 10, Pac-12. Who have they not played? I'll give you a hint. Boston College is one of them.
1: Yeah, yeah, I got that. Yeah, you made that one made that one clear. Um, have they played? Man, I'm going to be so bad at this. And I, I mean, there's there's obviously I probably couldn't even name all the teams off the top of my head. That's how embarrassing as as I am to admit that. Have they, I feel like they haven't played every Pac-12 team. I feel like there's got to be some Pac-12. Just actually, just
0: one. There's really? only one they haven't played. Washington Huskies. They've never really. Played. I was gonna
1: say Oregon because I can't. When's the last time they played Oregon?
0: Long time ago. It was a non-conference yeah. game back when like Missouri's non-conference schedule was like, you know, Ohio Dead State. Michigan, <laughs> uh, when they needed to pay I get, the I bills.
1: Get the, I, get, I get the emails from from those fans when they when they like when they rip me about strength of schedule. It's like, well, yeah, they're, if you're comparing it to those years, like, I right. hate every schedule. Yeah,
0: Missouri was like so severely Washington, in debt. Washington, huh? Washington. Here are the others. Rutgers and then it's all ACC. Florida State. Really? North Carolina State. Wow. Virginia Tech and Wake Forest. And then you oh, throw balls to college. So there's the 7. So even even in a, that counts bowl games. They've never played those teams. I'm surprised by I'm bowl.
1: surprised by NC State because they played I feel like they played NC State a lot in or not a lot, but in basketball. I mean, yeah, in basketball.
0: They've come up as like a potential opponent in bowl games a few times. Right. We thought that's who they were going to play, but they – and, uh, yeah, never Washington. I guess you knew that in the 15 years Gary Pinkle was coaching, you knew they weren't going right. really to Washington. That one
1: class. doesn't surprise me. <laughs> um,
0: but, yeah, they play Washington State. They played the Oregon schools. They played Oregon State in a bowl game in the Sun Bowl. Um, but everybody else – I did this a few years ago, looked it up when, when they scheduled Boston College, and, and the rest have held true since then. So – this will be uh breaking down. Wish, uh, one of Eli's them.
1: actually trying to figure out if he can get Florida state on the schedule this year. Yeah, no kidding. To, uh... Replace Florida with Florida state. Mike Morbell think... was my sneaky hot seat pick entering the season. And everyone was like, no, whoa, whoa, he hasn't been there a while. Uh... I'm like I'm telling you they're not patient and it's not going well. And now look at what's happened. What a one man. of the few things I've been right about. Goodness.
0: Well, this is going to be a really interesting game. I just think, uh, you know, I think it's a sneaky good game, too. And then here's the here's another thing I think is kind of disappointing. These games are probably going to go away now because you've got this alliance now with the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12, and you've got SEC expansion. And we safe to assume they're going to expand the SEC schedule so you're playing nine conference games instead of eight and maybe even ten eventually. And what that's going to do is it's going to de-incentivize you to play a good non-conference game. They might even take out that mandate that you have to play another power five team. And if you do, and you're Missouri, you're not going to schedule games at Boston college anymore. Um, you're going to play more CMOs and and more central Michigans. And, uh, it could just competitively, if you're going to add Texas and Oklahoma to your schedule, why are you going to schedule another tough game? So I I think that's, that is the downside of expansion. You get these non-conference games every once in a while that are really interesting. Missouri's had them in the past. They had you know, back when I was in school, they had a series against Ohio State. It was – fans got so up for that, and Missouri played – both of those games were really competitive. Um, you know, they've got futures games against Kansas State, Kansas, Colorado, um, some some decent name programs that they're familiar with. But but the oddball series like this, I think we're not going to see very, very many of these anymore. So, you know, I, I commend the fans that are making the trip because you may never get there again to see a Missouri game
1: it's a great place to visit. Um, you know, and, and having gone there quite a bit for the, for the blues run, um, great sports city obviously can be a little, uh, can be a little nasty at times. Um, if you're, if you're not performing well there and they can be a little hostile toward visitors. However, you laid out the reasons that, uh, w- won't be the case for, for Mizzou fans traveling. Now, maybe don't wear your Cardinals gear, but perhaps just wear your Jason Tatum shirt and, uh, you know, the, uh, if you're from St. Louis, people people will be into that. Um, it's a great city to visit, man. Walkable, um, great history, great food. I mean, you can, man, you can go to some parts of there that have some amazing, amazing different food options. Go, you know, get to the Little Italy portion, and it's like just eat and just it's food coma food coma status. One of my favorite memories of going to Boston during the Blues run was we were out to eat after I think it was like a practice day, media day, and we're in you know these little we're in like the Italian part and there's tiny little streets, everything. It's almost like you're back. It's like, it's like, you do not feel like you're in, in America, you know, real tiny narrow streets and great little bars and eateries and they're closing down and we hear Gloria playing from one of these little bars. We're like, what the hell, you know, why would they be playing Gloria? We're in Boston and we, we look in and, and it's um, Bernie Federico holding court with a bunch of little oh. blues members. And he's, and he's convinced that he's paid off the, the bar owner to play the song. It's like blowing out into the streets. And you're like, man, if the Blues win this is going to be like a scene you never forget and, and that's exactly what ended up happening so for folks who are going enjoy the trip make sure to check out some of the history and uh, hopefully catch a really really good football game too so um, I'm with you man I, I do think Mizzou wins this game I think that if they uh, if they want to have the juice to their season that it could have they they didn't lose that um, with the loss to Kentucky but losing that game in this one would be it would people it would have people a little bit down and I think Mike Mike idea that this team could be an eight-win team if things break out as they should might be a little in question there. So it's a really, really big game for this football team. And we need to learn, we need to learn a lot from this defense in a hurry. This defense needs to get better as the season goes along and this should be a pretty good test.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I just think looking at the rest of the SEC and how teams have fared so far. um, And obviously this game won't count in the conference standings, but man, there's not going to be many easy weeks and not that there ever is, but Arkansas looks like a really tough team right now. Tennessee, they're going to move the ball. I mean, they might not stop you, but they're going to score. Um, South Carolina, they might have some things figured out a little bit more by the time that game rolls around under, under Shane Beamer. Um, you know, Vanderbilt is Vanderbilt still, even though they won at Colorado State. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, this, is, this would be the type of win. I remember back 2013 maybe when Missouri went to Indiana. Indiana wasn't very good. But Missouri played really well against a Power 5 team on the road, and, th- and that just started to build some momentum for this team. I, I think this could be kind of the same thing. They- they'll feel really good about a win on the road against a Power 5 Boston College team, and uh, it can propel you to, to do some good things you know, going forward. So we'll see how it all shakes out.
1: Yeah, man, I'm, I'm curious to learn a little bit more about, about BC. So we've got a guest who can teach us all about that, and that's and really why Missouri should feel good about a win at BC. And if folks are going, eh, I don't know about Boston college. Well, you're probably overlooking them a little bit.
0: All right. We're joined now by Scott Mutrin. He is the sideline, uh, sideline reporter for the Boston college radio team. He will be on the call Saturday when Missouri is in chestnut Hill playing the Eagles. And um, Scott's a former Boston college quarterback. He, uh, he knows this program inside and out. So we thought he'd be a perfect person to talk to, about this team and, and this matchup, this very unique matchup, first ever meeting between Missouri and Boston College. So, Scott, thanks for joining us. Uh, tell us a little bit, what have you learned about this Boston College team through three games? I know you may not be able to read too much into it since the, the competition hasn't been, um, you know, they haven't played a Power 5 team or an ACC team yet, but tell us what you know about this 3-0 Boston College team.
2: Well, first off, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It's always nice to uh, see the uh, local opponent. I mean, the, uh, the new opponents coming onto the schedule. So uh, thanks for having me. And in regards to Boston college, it's uh, I'm a firm believer. And because of the lack of preseason games and everything, the first month or so of the season is the big we'll wait and see Um, what looks good. One week can not look good the next week. And it's really tough to gauge where you're at until you kind of start hitting those, First couple conference games, or whether you get into the kind of meat of your non-conference schedule, and BC, although three and O has, like you mentioned, hasn't played one of the Power Five conferences yet. So, I think this is going to be a good barometer for where exactly BC is going to be uh, for the rest of the year. Um, I mean, you go into this game, and and then you start; it starts getting real, real quick because you go right to Clemson next week. So, there's no rest for the weary after this. So, I think for for BC. Uh, the, the biggest thing is to kind of gauge yourself. This is going to be a great gauge for them and to see exactly um, where they're trending and kind of who they're going to be for the rest of the season.
0: Yeah. All right. We'll update us on this quarterback situation. We know Phil Jerkovic, really good quarterback, is out probably for the year with, with the risk situation or at least at least for the foreseeable future. And they, they go to Dennis a Nice situation to have an experienced guy. I mean, he, he's been a starter at this level. Um, What can you tell us about what this offense looks like with a different quarterback?
2: Yeah. I I was, we've talked a couple of times with coach Halfley about this, Dennis, this will be his ninth start, I believe. And he's also played in a bunch of other games where guys have gotten hurt. So he's got over a season's worth of starts and playing time under his belt at this point in time. And in today's college football, you don't see that because if guys, if guys get those opportunities and they don't get the start the next year, they're gone. The the transfer portal and everything else, you're not going to get guys that are going to stay for that. They're going to want to go play and, BC's fortunate in, in that aspect to have Dennis with his experience to be able to come in and, and really contribute to the offense. And you're, you're going to miss Phil. I mean, you, you, you just have to, to, to look at it this way, is that Phil was a guy that, that I felt from watching him play last year and at the, the way he ended and then going into this year, that if he had a really good year, he was going to put himself on the map of some of those quarterbacks that, that were in talk to, in talks to be drafted, I think, pretty high. I mean he's a guy that fits the mold off the bus he's 6'5 225 he's athletic he's got a good arm and he's a gamer man he 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 plays his best games when the chips are all down and he's a guy that you miss uh, no matter what I think you're you're going to miss a guy like him with his presence but the the fortunate thing with Dennis is that um, he doesn't have the, the numbers that Phil has, meaning like the, the size and the weight, but he's got a good grasp of the offense. Um, he's a little more n- nimble of a runner uh, than Phil was. Phil was very elusive and really reminded me a lot, really reminds me a lot of Ben Roethlisberger, to tell you the truth, the young Ben, ben Roethlisberger. But I think with, with Dennis, is he comes into a situation where you have all five offensive linemen coming back, uh, probably the best receiving core BC's ever had depth-wise. Uh, there are a lot of guys, young and old, that are, are some playmakers there and some solid running backs uh, and tight ends that can contribute. And for him, um, you're really going to just do your job. I think if you just do your job and not try to be bigger than yourself or bigger than the moment, that you just allow the guys around you to to do their job and to be successful and put them in positions where they, they can succeed and, and with the ball in their hands and, and do what they do best. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: remember watching the Notre Dame game last year and, and Phil had a really good start in that one. I may, I remember making a mental note knowing that Missouri's going to Boston college the following year that, man, that that's going to be a really tough matchup because he's a, he looks like one of those guys can be really special. So we'll see what they can do without him. I, I think, I guess the, the good news for, for BC is this offensive line. I mean, it, it's supposed to be one of the best, you know, in the ACC, if not the country, what have you seen so far? Missouri's had a really tough time defending the run. And I would think, no matter who they line up back there, that line is is good enough to to handle anybody on on the schedule.
2: Yeah, I think you, what you've seen in these first three games is BC's commitment to that to that running game, and it's kind of unique that they're playing two opponents within their first four games that they've never played before. Colgate being the other, um, and I think they've really done. Um, a concerted effort to really run the football and control the line of scrimmage. Now, when you get an obvious passing downs, um, I, I think BC may have some issues with speed coming off the edge uh, yeah. with that offensive line, but these guys are seasoned guys that that are pretty physical and want to kind of establish the, the tempo of the game. I think you'll, the one commonality that you'll see through their first three games of tape or whatever, that the offensive line kind of makes them go. Um, And it's a different style than what you're used to seeing now in college football, like BC actually gets in a huddle. uh, Sometimes they they'll they'll run the football with power game, you're, you're not going to see a ton of spread RPO stuff that which is 95% of college football today I feel like everyone kind of runs some sort of variation of it and they'll they'll really try to solidify the running game and then utilize that to some play action game where they're trying to hit some shots down the field if you look at a lot of their passing stuff a lot of their big plays have come off that play action where their ability to push the ball down the field and the offensive line is able to hold up in protection because defense is expecting run and they're able to create some time um, the one, the one thing that has been pleasantly surprising for the BC offensive line this year is that when they had to throw the ball, that they've had time uh, yeah. to throw the ball. I think that's the one thing that you've noticed. But like you said earlier in the in the podcast, it's like it's tough for me to give you that gauge as to where they are now because they haven't had to either play uh, a tight game or a game in which they've been forced to throw the football. So until you get into that environment, I think it's really tough for you to kind of say like where exactly they're at they need to have their kind of feet to the fire so that they can kind of really gauge themselves and I think this will be a test for them to do that if they get put in passing situations or if they've had to play from behind because they haven't had to do that at all this year and you and I both know that it's a different game when you're chasing somebody versus when you're dictating right. terms
0: yeah absolutely and and there hasn't been much chasing this year And just look at defensively for Boston cause I don't think they've allowed a point in the first half this year in, in any of those games, um, pretty lopsided and, you know, teams come from behind a little bit, probably against backups. That's what Missouri faced, uh, over the weekend, you know, they were up 38, nothing in halftime. They put the second and third teamers in and they give up some, some yards and some points. So what have you seen from this BC defense right now that you have, you can have a feel for, for how good they
2: can be? Uh, strength and numbers. BC is yeah. going to play a lot of guys. Yeah. Um, and it's, a, it's an interesting mix because of this is that there's some experienced guys out there and then there's really young guys out there. You'll see a bunch of freshmen on the two deep and they're true freshmen that are going to play a lot uh, on all three levels to tell you the truth. So they really mix a lot of guys in. You'll probably see anywhere between eight to 10 defensive linemen that are going to come in the game and, and a good mix of linebackers, at least probably six of that. Six of them, and then the, the secondary, which they play a lot of, you're going to see seven, eight guys there. So you're going to see a lot of numbers uh, from them. Jeff Halfley and, and Tim Tem Lukabu, the defensive coordinator for BC, uh, really run kind of a pro scheme. So they're, gonna, they're not afraid to change up some pressures, uh, some stunts, some dogs, some blitzes um they haven't had the benefit of being three and in the, the schedule so far as they haven't had to open up their playbook that much so there's not a lot of film as to what to expect from them but for me knowing their background and, and what they can bring to the table they can be creative into that and Jeff Halfley is a secondary coach has those guys coached up you're going to get PIs I mean PIs are just a, a way of dealing a, a nature of the the beast right now in, in college football so you're going to get a couple of those a game but he really coaches them up to be aggressive Tack the ball, um, really get after it, and and BC has gotten some turnovers because of that. So they're going to give up some yards, and they've done it in, in some games. And like you see in the UMass game, uh, the week before, there was you know so they scored twenty eight points, but drive one was off a turnover, another one was off seventy yards and penalties. So then that's why the numbers can get skewed when you look at it that but defensively you expect them to be multiple they're going to be creative with pressure um, they do have some young guys that can hopefully uh, create some havoc I think if BD is going to be successful defensively they're going to have to be able to generate pass rush with four to five guys uh, Sheeta Salah is a defensive end who uh, you know came in as a freshman a couple years ago with a lot of big expectations and now he's after a couple of years in the program has gotten bigger and stronger and he's an edge guy that I think if you see and you're watching the game and you see 11 that is creating some pressure, that's a good sign for BC because that means that, that he's actually rising to the level of the competition and that they're able to kind of compete. Sure. Sure. Touching on Jeff Halfley. Tell us a little bit about him. He is
0: I I can't help, but draw some comparisons to Missouri's head coach. They're both in their second year uh, relatively close in age. I think Jeff's 42. Eli's just turned 38. He's got more of an NFL background um boy it spent one year at Ohio State b- before getting this job just seems like a guy that's a lot of energy a lot of charisma personality uh what's he like and how has he kind of changed this program in, in his year and a half he's been there
2: well these recruiting trail has been one they've they've done some good job as evidenced by this freshman class yeah and what they have in the pipeline that's the, I would say that's the biggest uh, on the field notice noticing and then Oh, excuse me, off the field noticing. And then on the field, he is an extremely um, positive, intense guy. Uh, he, the moment hasn't seemed to be too big for him. He hasn't gotten caught up in, in a lot of the uh, emotions of the game. You see that a lot with first time head coaches is that sometimes the the emotions of the game can get the best of them. You'll see the, the timeouts or the personnel issues where, where you just see that they're not organized. And uh, I, I, th- I think Jeff has done a really good good job of that he surrounded himself with a young energetic uh staff that's uh uses that in their nfl backgrounds to create multiple looks and that's for college teams to, to see some of those looks that can create some some issues with them because they're not used to seeing that now sometimes the offense you're playing dictates the terms because you can't be as creative with the ball coming out quick and other certain things but with Jeff, he's just he's on point and you don't he doesn't look to get too rattled on the sidelines during the game. That's something I always look for when you're looking at a coach is how do they how do they handle the bad times? Because anyone can coach when they're a good team in are ahead. How do you handle that struggle? And Jeff has done a really good good job of that so far. And and I'm really impressed with with him and his staff that, that their ability to kind of do that.
0: Uh Is he kind of the CEO type that oversees a little bit of everything or is he strictly defense and hand the offense over to his, his offensive coordinator? How has he handled that?
2: Well, it's kind of funny. You ask him that he spends, he's spending more time in the offensive room, but inevitably it's your defensive coach. I mean, yeah. I mean, you can, Nick Saban will say he's the CEO, but he's a defensive back coach at heart, right? He's always going to be gravitate towards where you're best. So I think that his heart's always with the defense and he spends a lot of time there, but he's learned to, he gave Frank Signetti a a lot, you know, he's pretty much the elder statesman of the coaching staff. He gave him a lot of leeway to run his offense and he's learning from Frank as well, but you know, he'll give his input, but really allows Frank to do his thing and establish the offense that he wants to run the pro multiple style. I mean, you're going to see more snaps from under center center this Saturday than you've probably, you will see the rest of the year. I mean, it's just the nature of BC's offense. So he's done a good job of getting to know that offense and working with them. But he's involved. But I would, de- I definitely say he he has handled the CEO aspect of it well, where he's overseeing and, and making those decisions um, based on the knowledge and, and working with the staff as to w- to where they are and where they want to be. So sure. he's always going to trend towards the defense. But he definitely has his you know hands and at least mind share of the offense. Sure. Uh,
0: St. Louis listeners will remember Frank Signetti's name because he was with the Rams before they left for L.A. I think he was a quarterback's coach there for a couple of right. years.
2: Exactly a bit right. So, so you see, so that's the one thing you also see is pro experience from both coordinators. Right. Uh, I think you see that, and and that's really – I think that's also helping the recruiting aspect is that, hey, we're running stuff that you – if you want to play at the next level, this is stuff that you're going to get a head start of people are. And the type of kind of players you get at B.C. is like – BC is not going to walk into a room and get five-star guys. It's just not going to happen. So you'll see BC guys that will be a couple inches shorter, maybe a step slower than some of those big guys, but they eventually grow into that role. So they may not be first-year contributors, but as they get to that second, third, fourth year, that's where you really see the growth and the ability of playing at a young age and growing into your role. I think, you know, one of the greatest examples of that is Luke Kuechly, who everyone knows. I mean, he was a guy that came in, was a safety but played linebacker. And by the time he got out of there, it was the first round pick and right. his career, his NFL career can explain itself. Yeah. Great example. Yeah.
0: Tell us about what, what's the buzz about this matchup, you know, really unique, obviously they've never played before. So there's no history between these two programs. Um, very, I was just doing some of the math, very similar though over the last 20 years, it's crazy since 2000, Austin college has won exactly one more game than Missouri has. They've they've almost played in the same number of bowls. They both kind of recycled through some coaches. Uh, they're, even their NFL draft picks since 2000 is separated by like one. I mean, these programs have been good, rarely great, rarely bad, just, just always kind of steady and solid. Um, it's kind of a novel matchup, and one unfortunately, it's one we probably won't see a whole lot in the future. Now you got the alliance with with the ACC and the other leagues. SEC expansions probably going to cut down on non conference games, so these these kind of games may not happen a whole lot in the future. But is, has there been much buzz about hey hosting an SEC team? I think for the
2: first time since the eighties, there's definitely that aspect. A lot of people are excited. And, you know, there's times, and I'm sure you see it too, is your schedule and games. That you need to get W's on the schedule for that. Yeah. So not a lot of people want to go outside into these power conferences and play, play somebody that's going to hurt those, those wins that they need, especially right. in conference in Missouri and BC are similar to this is that um, you're, you're in the middle of the pack, but the difference between a good year and a great year could be those one to two wins. Right. Um, versus some of those opponents. So it's tough to go outside that comfort zone because you don't want to put the margin for error once you get the conference play that much smaller. Um, so it's excitement for that. I bet there's some definite trepidation because, you know, I think both teams, this is what you would consider a 50 50 game that it, it could be a big deal for one team and, and hurt the other team in some of their bowl status and and, and all of that. But I, I really think for, for BC, is there a program that needs guys to be there three to four years? And if you get a good class and you can rack up um, two to three in a row, you can make a run and, and really put yourself in contention. You'll see, you'll see that, or you have seen that when BC really joined the ACC, and that was Matt Ryan at the end. Um, he's able to get them to the ACC championship game, and that was a squad that took some lumps. They played as a younger crew, but they had some good classes and they built it up, and they were ready to make a run. Uh, and they did there, you know, his last year there. So they have the ability to do that, but it's there's always those middle of the pack conference games that you win one you should should have lost, you lose one you should have win, and that should have yeah. won. And that's that's kind of the difference between a good season and a great season. And I think for BC fans and everyone they they want and expect Jeff Halfley to put BC in kind of that top echelon like you're never going to be in Clemson's class just because you're not going to be able you can give them a game like they did last year they gave them all they could handle there and they were winning into the fourth quarter um and you need all your chips to kind of align to beat them but I think what Jeff Haffley what BC's really gained um uh, kind of guiding towards is being that top echelon of the ACC where they're two or you know two or three in the coastal and that they're able to be able to to be one of those um, higher profile perennial top 25 teams. And they can do that. Um, if, you know, if their recruiting stays the same and they really kind of hone in on, on their target market because of who they're going after and the type of kids that they need to bring in there. Sure. Absolutely. I think it is a a similar recipe to what Missouri
0: has followed over the last 20 years. I mean, their best teams, 07, 08, um, 13, 14 were built over time. And it, like you said, with Luke Keekley perfect example, there were guys on those Missouri teams that three-star recruits that ended up being five-star players and went on to play in the NFL like like Luke did. So, um, yeah, they're not just going to get the five stars all the time. Um, Missouri's never going to, you know, recruit better than Alabama or Georgia. But on your on the right day, you can beat those teams and, and, and then build from there. So I, I do, I think these programs for never playing each other um, – they mirror each other in a lot of ways. Uh, Boston now, a lot of Missouri fans are, are coming to Boston this week. Uh, I think it's it's one of those games that Missouri's been in the SEC for about a decade now, so the fans like to travel. Probably been to most places, but this is one they want to circle and go and, and just experience a weekend there. I know a lot of I know a lot of Missouri fans are going to that Red Sox Yankees game on Friday night. Let's knock on wood. Hope the weather holds up. Um, actually, I, my wife got me bir- uh, my birthday present was tickets to that game so we are going to pray, nice. for good weather. pray for good weather um so uh just tell us what what can what should Missouri fans are coming up for this game what are some things they need to do to get a true Boston experience whether they're there for three days or two days or four days uh, Fenway is obviously one you know what else do we need to see need to do on this visit
2: well, first off, you're gonna to have to understand the dialect because <laughs> there's uh, there's definitely a different dialect, and it's not the stuff that you've seen, not like what you see in the Departed and other movies that they portray Boston, and the dialect is different. You gotta learn about you know the beers and Fenway Pack and all those other things. So you gotta be able to understand some of the. It's not as bad as it is in the movies, but um, I think that's a that's a big thing to go around Boston people. Uh, can can be uh, they can be very very friendly, but they're also very territorial. You know, I grew up in the Midwest, and and from living in Boston now, anytime I see someone that's really nice, I'm like, what's this guy's angle? Like he's not he can't be this nice. He's got to have some sort of angle. So watch out. They may not be very trusting of you if you're very nice. Um, the one thing that I would I would say to any of the to the fans that are coming out there is that this is going to be a unique experience for them. Because Boston, although there are a ton of colleges, is not a college town. Right. Um, it's a big pro sports town. And it's, it's also a city. Like you're talking about one of the, the biggest cities in the United States. Um, it's, it's not like a college campus. like when you go to an SEC game, like that's the only game in town. Like Boston, you're going to have so much to do um bc is located in a little suburb just outside of boston chestnut hill massachusetts so it's not in boston proper as they they like to call it but um it's still very accessible um i would say don't drive because the streets are all messed up so you're going to kill yourself it'll be like um the best the best explanation i can give for that is it'll be like um Clark Griswold driving in European vacation when he gets stuck in the roundabout for like right. 45 minutes. So right. avoid driving because you will get lost. Um, use the Ubers to the best of your ability. Uh, Fenway Park in that area and Lansdowne Street is a, is a great environment to, to go see a game. And uh, you know when you wanna talk about getting a, a full experience, going to eat in the North End, there's a ton of great restaurants in that area. There's the Seaport District, which is right on the water. Um, downtown Boston, where you're going to see all the, the, you know, the major buildings in the financial district. There's a bunch of good restaurants. There's a lot of things happening down there. Uh, it's, you know, you wish it was almost completely COVID free at this point. So you get the full experience, but it is pretty much opened up. Uh, to see that there's a bunch of good, there's a bar every street, you will have no problem finding a place to sit down and have a pint or or seven. Uh, (laughs) And you'll, you'll get a, you'll get a great experience. uh, Very historical. If you want to go do that, you can see the Bunker Hill Monument, you see the Revolutionary War, the Boston Tea Party, you get to see all these American history things, which which are fascinating, you don't get those those many opportunities to do that. Uh, Really, in the historical um, sense that you're going into a kind of the birthplace of the American revolution in this country, it's kind of crazy to think, you know, 200 some years ago that, you know, there was a, a war that was fought here and that this is where everything kind of started and it's, it's kind of crazy to look at it in that way. So there are so many things to do. I'd recommend if you do a boat tour, uh, a duck tour where they'll get on these amphibious vehicles, they'll take you around, show, teach you some historical things. But uh, you can see where the Boston Marathon uh, completes itself down there on Boylston Street. There's just, there is so much to do in Boston. You, you, you will not have enough time. Uh, to get it all done but it is a um unlike a new york or chicago or or la or houston which i consider big cities uh in general there are grids where you're driving straight austin is pretty much a big town with separate kind of little pieces it's uh there was never a huge fire that forced them to, to have to uh or a plague that went through Boston where we forced them to kind of put the grid system in. So it's kind of all over the place. It's so a basic yeah. downtown's like a horse trail there. It's, it's all stops and starts. So, But it's a great town and you feel that you're 10 to 15 minutes away from getting to any different points of it. And there's so many different little pockets of places where you can go that offer you a unique uh, view of the city. Well, that's great. I know a lot of people are looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Um, they won't get yelled at by people. Like if they're wearing their, their, the Missouri gear, like no one's going to like throw stuff. Out, you know? They won't. They're just, I bet a good amount of people will be like, why are you here? And then you'll be like, there's a football game. Don't you care? And they're like Patriots play on Sunday. <laughs> there you go.
0: There you go. Hopefully the, uh, if, if there are still any Rams fans left in the St. Louis fan base, they'll, they have forgiven the Patriots. Um, if if they come into town this week, I doubt they'll be wearing Rams gear. I'll put it that way. Maybe Cardinals gear if they go to the baseball game Friday night.
2: Right. I mean, well, you know, the the, the Sox fans love the Cardinals because they broke the streak against them in the World yeah. World. yeah, Series in four. So you guys will be welcome with open open arms into that. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure. Uh, they were, and and all they'll say about the Rams is they beat them in a one in the Super Bowl, so they they don't really care about that. So you're not gonna have any bad blood along those lines they'll just they'll mock you and make fun of you guys for for losing the title town <laughs> well and then the, the blues did win the stanley cup in boston a few oh years that's before. right oh that's, that's it, right yeah yeah don't wear any blue stuff then that, <laughs> that the bruins fans are by far the meanest and someone <laughs> could throw something at you if you start wearing blue stuff you could get uh you could hear some colorful dialect if you wear All any right. blues gear i wouldn't recommend that I wouldn't recommend that at all. There's still some a lot of hostility and anger towards them. This is a hockey town too, so yeah, um, I, I would not mess around with that. No blue stuff. If you want to get if you want to get a whooping. There's don't be there no you wear blue go. stuff. Best way too. All right, yeah, yeah uh, Make you said- sure you go down to the uh, like the Faneuil Hall District, Quincy Market, and uh, those areas. There's a bunch of great places there. A bunch of historical things down there. Good restaurants and pubs in there too, and some great tourist spots to see. Um, that, that, that's all, all in walking distance and, you know, you're right on the, the Atlantic ocean and stuff like that too. It's, it's definitely going to be a unique experience for people from Missouri. If they probably haven't seen, uh, a city like Boston to get that, to get that, it'll be a cool experience for them. And hopefully, uh when you know somewhere around four o'clock on saturday they're really upset that they lost in dc but uh hopefully up until then they have a great time have a good
0: time absolutely all right well looking forward to it scott this has been great uh really appreciate it um and uh, hopefully got some insight here for the for the eagles and in boston and everything
2: so i really appreciate it well my pleasure thanks for having me and enjoy your time in the city it's uh, it'll be a great experience and I, I know you're coming out for a couple extra days enjoy that time yeah and uh really soak in everything the uh the city has to offer and uh enjoy your time it, 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 you won't have any regrets yeah all right absolutely
0: all right we want to thank scott uh muchen for joining us he's from the bc radio team he'll be on the call uh saturday when the tigers and the eagles kick off it's at 11 a.m central local time noon in uh, in boston on espn2 we'll have full coverage all week kind of leading up to the game and then i'll be in boston to talk about uh to cover the game on saturday just a reminder to our listeners uh please subscribe if to the podcast if you haven't already you can also find it at stltoday.com slash podcast where all of our podcasts are listed uh, or subscribe on apple or spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast so until next week this is dave matter we'll talk to you next time